to 15. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this reports get to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Buenos días. La lectura de hoy viene del Evangelio según San Mateo, capítulo 28, versículos 1 al 15. Cuando pasó el día de reposo, al amanecer del primer día de la semana, María Magdalena y la otra María fueron a visitar el sepulcro. De pronto hubo un gran terremoto porque un ángel del Señor descendió del cielo y removió la piedra y se sentó sobre ella. Su aspecto era el de un relámpago y sus vestidos eran blancos como la nieve. Al verlos, los guardias temblaron de miedo y se quedaron como muertos. Pero el ángel les dijo a las mujeres, no teman, yo sé que buscan a Jesús, el que fue crucificado. No está aquí pues ha resucitado, como él dijo. Vengan y vean el lugar donde fue puesto el Señor. Luego, vayan pronto y digan a sus discípulos que él ha resucitado de los muertos. De hecho, va delante de ustedes a Galilea. Allí lo verán. Ya se lo he dicho. Entonces, ellas salieron del sepulcro con temor y mucha alegría y fueron corriendo a dar las noticias a los discípulos. En eso, Jesús les salió al encuentro y les dijo, salve. Y ellas se acercaron y lo abrazaron los pies y lo adoraron. Entonces Jesús les dijo, no teman, vayan y den la noticia a mis hermanos para que vayan a Galilea, allí me verán. Mientras ellas iban, algunos de los guardias fueron a la ciudad y les contaron a los principales sacerdotes todo lo que había sucedido. Estos se reunieron con los ancianos y después de ponerse de acuerdo, dieron mucho dinero a los soldados y les dijeron, ustedes digan que sus discípulos fueron de noche y se robaron el cuerpo mientras ustedes estaban dormidos. 
Si el gobernador se entera de esto, nosotros lo convenceremos y a ustedes los pondremos a salvo. Ellos tomaron el dinero y siguieron las instrucciones recibidas. Y esta es la versión que, ha, que se ha divulgado entre los judíos hasta el día de hoy. Let's start off together. Oh, it's pretty full up over here, too. All right. I'll have to remember to keep looking at all sides. Let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you to be present, for you to show up with power and with glory in our midst. We want this story, this word, to come alive, what an appropriate way to put it, in light of your resurrection. Give us life, even whatever deadness remains in our hearts and our souls. We pray that you would conquer even that, even us, for our good, for your glory. Exalt yourself, dear Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? We live lives that are weighed down by fear. Lives that are even sometimes defined by fear. It might be the fear of loss, the loss of a job perhaps, the loss of a child, the loss of your own life. It might be the fear of the future. <clears throat> it might be fears because of a haunting past. It might be fear of disease or depression or guilt for wrongs. It might be fear of winning Powerball. No, just kidding. No one fears that. <laughs> But it could be the fear of having too much, too much to do, too many decisions to be made, too many draining needs of the lives of the people around you. Or it could be the fear of having too little. Too little money, too little love. What are you afraid of, friends? It's true of us individually. It's true of us collectively. As Pulitzer Prize winner writer Marilyn Robinson recently observed, I think rightly, contemporary America, she said, is full of fear. And part of the reason for this, she notes, is that American Christians have given into it. The church is full of fear. Which makes us no different at all today than Jesus' followers that day. Including these two women who came to Jesus' tomb early on Sunday morning with no idea what to expect. In fact, they had an idea. They were expecting to find a dead body that they had come to embalm, to prepare in burial. After all, everything they believed in seemed to be exposed as a lie. All of Jesus' teaching, all of his claims, everything they devoted their lives to, that vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about all the time suddenly seemed worthless. Everything they gave up in order to follow him 
their jobs, their family, their security, their very identity suddenly felt wasted. Their leader had been executed by the state. Would his followers, would they be next? They were sad, maybe depressed, hopeless, anxious, but most of all, they were scared. It might be why the word fear or afraid shows up four times in this passage. It's a major theme, and it may also be why the main command in this passage, repeated twice in verse 5 by the angel and again in verse 10 by Jesus himself, is do not be afraid. Jesus, you see, Jesus bursts forth into a world of terror and anxious fears Raised from the dead and declaring aloud, do not be afraid. Dear friends, the resurrection of Jesus offers us unmatched reassurance. Firm footing to stand on, to bank your life on. For our comfort, for our security in a world that's constantly quaking. The resurrection of Jesus spells the end of all our fears. But how? How? This passage offers us four ways. First of all, don't be afraid. You're forgiven. You're forgiven of all your sins. One of the most surprising parts of this story is the amazing grace that Jesus offers to his disciples. The very first thing that he says as he sees them is a most stunningly simple greetings. Sure, in Greek, ancient Greek custom, that simply means hello, but the word actually originally meant grace, even favor. In fact, Jesus said so much by what he didn't say. A word of condemnation. A word of irritation. After all, remember, these were his very friends who had abandoned him so run away. His disciples, every single one of them, professing loyalty and love to him. And yet, at their most agonizing hour, when he needed them most... They broke faithfulness with him one by one by one. When the angel speaks to the women, you almost expect him to say, go and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's coming to get you. No. No. In verse 10, when Jesus appears, he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. To go to Galilee. Did you hear that? My brothers, my family, those whom I love, those whom are mine. There they will see me. Can you believe it? Jesus can't wait to see them again. The resurrection, you see, is a promise. That your sins are forgiven. 
As theologian J.C. Ryle once explained, the resurrection of Christ was the crowning proof that the ransom he paid for sinners was accepted for sin accomplished. Because Jesus died the death that we should have died, Jesus paid not for his own sins, but for ours, so selfish and sinful and corrupted are our hearts if we would be bold enough and courageous enough to admit it. And Jesus rose again to show us that indeed his work had worked. Yesterday, Paula and I had some errands to run, and so we split up. She went to Giant to grab a few groceries while I took the kids to Target. And Paula finished first, and so she later joined us with two bags of rice and toilet paper and a couple other just generic items, which wasn't a big deal until it came time for us to check out and leave at Target. And then it occurred to me that someone might wonder why we were trying to walk out of Target without paying for two big bags of groceries. And so I turn to Paula and I ask her, do you have the receipt just in case? And there's this look on her face that says, oh, no, I just threw it away. Uh, But that's not what she says. She says, I got rotisserie chicken. That should be fine, which makes no sense at all. But that's what she says, and and eventually I think I get her logic. I think she means that Target doesn't sell rotisserie chicken. So it would be clear, it would be clear enough that we bought it at Giant, and so I nod my head because that's how marriage works. And, (laughs) but what I'm thinking in my head is that we just might need something more sure than a rotisserie chicken. We might need a receipt. Because what's a receipt? It's proof that you've paid. Jesus' resurrection is a receipt before God and before the world. The resurrection is proof that Jesus' death was indeed acceptable payment, full payment of the penalty For our sins. So he didn't need to remain dead any longer. Get on up, you see. The job was done. And so you know right now today that sin in your life, that you're just not sure God would be willing to forgive. Or maybe that thing that you did a long time ago that you maybe literally still have nightmares about. Or maybe that bad habit that's just sort of always there that makes it hard for you to believe that God could forgive you because you screw up again and again and again. Could Jesus forgive again and again and again? And so you're not sure, but Jesus wants you to be sure. He wants you to look at the receipt Look at the resurrection and to know today that all your sins have been paid in full. Don't be afraid. There's no more condemnation for you 
if you are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't be afraid. You don't need to work off, pay off your own guilt with religious slave labor or good deeds in the community to try to get God and his judgment off your back. Don't be afraid. Jesus is risen from the dead. You're forgiven. Secondly, don't be afraid. Come and see. Come and see. This past week, I've talked to a few people who have expressed what you might call fear. That as they walk on this journey of getting to know Jesus, it's a new thing for them. And there are different things that they feel like, yeah, I can get on board with and I can embrace. But here they are expressing fear that they have to believe in this wild thing called the resurrection overnight. But notice in this passage, it does not for a second pull back the truth of the declaration of his resurrection. And yet notice how gentle the passage is towards those who doubt Jesus' resurrection. The angel announces to the women, he's not here, he has risen. And what does he say next in verse 6? He has risen, duh, no. He has risen, now close your eyes and go home and just believe. No, no. Come on in. Come and see the place where he lay. It's an invitation to investigate the matter, to seek proof of Jesus' resurrection. The angel is appealing even to their physical senses, their eyes. He's not blowing them off. He's reasoning with them. You might have noticed the passage even shows an awareness of conspiracy theories. Right? We see that in the final paragraph, how the soldiers were instructed to tell people that Jesus' disciples had stolen the body in the middle of the night in order to make it look like he had risen from the dead. Verse 15 tells us that that explanation had already widely circulated at the time of the writing of Matthew's book here. There were skeptics on day one. Doubt is not foreign or strange to the Bible. In fact, what I'm saying is this passage acknowledges that this story is really hard to believe. That's good news. That there would be that kind of grace, even patience, for you if you're someone that's just starting to grapple with some of these Christian truths. You're welcomed not just by me and not just by our church, but by the Bible itself to investigate the matter, to seek proof of Jesus' resurrection, of the gospel. There are helpful books, like The Case for Christ, one that I would recommend to you that can help you. We'll also have a time of Q&A right after here, coming up in a few minutes. You're welcome to ask questions then. But I also want to ask you a question now, because it's a question that this passage puts before us. And it's this, as you seek to believe, as you work through your doubts, do you not 
want to believe? Again, in the paragraph at the end, we're told that the guards reported to the chief priests, the religious leaders, everything that had happened from the earthquake to the tombstone rolling away to the angel. They heard all of it. They knew all of it. The chief priests were also quite aware that Jesus had foretold that he would rise from the dead by Sunday. We're told that one chapter earlier in Matthew 27. That's why they urged Pilate to post soldiers by the tomb to guard it. Now they find out that something strange, maybe even supernatural, has happened. But instead of being stunned, instead of actually rethinking everything, wow, maybe he really did rise from the dead. Instead of that, they proceed with a cover-up. All right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to say. Even though we know the disciples didn't come and steal the body, that's what we're going to tell everyone that they did. You see, what we're seeing there is that sometimes we're doubtful, not because we don't have enough evidence, not because we don't have enough facts. Sometimes we doubt because deep down we don't want to believe. Why were the chief priests so committed to killing Jesus and keeping him dead even when he wasn't? Because Jesus was a threat to them, a threat to the religious establishment, to the religious order that they were a part of, that they were the king of the hills upon. He was a threat to their power. Jesus rattled their self-image. He constantly challenged their hypocrisy. He exposed their self-righteousness, he told them that their only true way to God was through himself. They didn't want to believe because they had a lot to lose. They were protecting their power and their self-image. Are you? Sometimes that's what it is for us too. You can be presented with all the evidence in the world and still refuse to accept it because, man, if Jesus really was who he says he was, then I might lose control over my life. Or if the resurrection is true, I might find out that I haven't actually figured out life for myself. Or that I'm, I might not be as good as I thought I was. Or I might actually have to admit that I need help from someone, even God. Does that describe you? But dear friends, don't you know, the truth will set you free if you dare to go down the road of honesty, to encounter not just your doubts, but to encounter the risen Christ who can save you and who can give you life. But oftentimes it starts off by hearing him say, do not be afraid, come and see. Thirdly, we're also told, do not be afraid. Jesus is raised. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You know, the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he says he was. It validates all of his claims that he is the Messiah. He does have the authority to forgive sins. He is the Son of Man who reigns over all. He was sent by God the Father He is the Son of God 
who is Lord over all. And we see this acknowledged in this passage when when Jesus appears to the women. How do they respond? We're told in verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Keep in mind that these were good ancient traditional Jewish people. This was written in an ancient Jewish monotheistic context. You don't worship nobody who isn't God. If you did, you would risk being punished by stoning. They saw him for who he was. Do you see him for who he is? If you do, it might just start to expel your greatest fears. We live in a world that quakes and shakes We seek security in flawed leaders. We look to money in an attempt to purchase inner peace. Here's a different route, a different bomb, a different hope. Don't be afraid. Jesus is Lord. Resurrected and sovereignly reigning over all things. As he himself would say upon his departure several paragraphs later, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which means that you can be in the middle of the swirl of the political chaos that is our nation and hear him say, don't be afraid, I am Lord. Or that you might be holding on, maybe for dear life it feels, in the midst of marital chaos. Do you hear him? Don't be afraid. I'm Lord. Or maybe you're facing the uncertainty of unemployment or chronic illness. Don't be afraid. Jesus is Lord. Or maybe you're looking out into the headlines Or maybe to your own phones and emails, to those who are friends, maybe even lost loved ones. Terrorism in Brussels or Ankara or Grand Bassam. We live in a terror-filled world. Do you hear the sovereign risen one saying to you, don't be afraid. I am Lord. Jesus is in control Of all things, dear friends, he is in charge. There is nothing that can thwart his purposes for your life, not even the grave. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid, Jesus is Lord. And lastly, don't be afraid, death is dead. Even though it's not explicitly stated, one of the clearest messages of the story of Jesus' resurrection is simply this, that Jesus conquered death. By his cross, he gave death itself a big death blow, and while it squirms and wiggles and continues to slaughter, 
And yet because of the power of the resurrection, one day, someday, when Jesus returns, death will finally die. And so you don't need to be afraid anymore when you're joined to the one who has conquered death. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says there, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I control death itself. When Jesus came out of the tomb, death itself traded places with him. Death went into the tomb. Jesus himself said as a promise in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Which means not only that those who are united to Jesus will one day themselves be raised to life. Yes, bodily and physically conformed in his image with perfected humanity and immortality. Yet even before that future day, even now, for those who are in Christ, death has been transformed into a doorway to glory. Because as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, for those who are in Christ, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The beginning of the very first day in which you see your Savior face to face. The end of all your tears and the beginning of eternal bliss. Not just because you've been removed from a world of thorns and thistles and sorrow and sadness, but because you're with your Savior. And when you believe this, we start to live more fearlessly, more sacrificially, because no cost is too great, and you've got nothing to lose. And you can love like you've never loved before and tear to Love the people that you never dared to love and in places where you never dared to love before. Which is why even the disciples themselves were willing to give up their own lives as martyrs. Because to them, after the resurrection of Jesus, death had lost its sting. And it's no different for Jesus' disciples, followers, even today. This past week, four Christian missionaries were killed by militants in the Middle East. They were a part of Wycliffe, an organization that labors to translate the Bible into languages that have no written Bible yet. And apparently, a raid took place on the translator's office. And Two missionaries, two of the translators, were shot and killed. Another two were beaten to death with the weapons that were by that point emptied upon the other two victims. Beaten to death 
while they themselves were protecting the lead translator by lying on top of him. The organization Wycliffe, they reached out to their global supporters, their global network. They requested prayer for the families of those lost. They also asked for prayers for the killers. But do you know what else they requested? Let me read it for you. Pray. Pray for others to step up and take on the translation task. Please ask the Lord to mend the hearts and wounds of the translation team who have gone through this terrible ordeal. Pray that God will strengthen the team's minds, their hearts, and their bodies to be able to continue the translation of the gospel for their people. You don't talk like that. You don't pray like that. You don't live like that at risk of death unless you believe in the resurrection. You don't double down on your commitment to the work in the face of death unless you believe that because Jesus rose from the dead, death itself is dead. And so how are you going to live, dear believers, in the resurrection? How are you going to love what risks would you be willing to take? Indeed, indeed, it is no risk at all because you stand on the firm foundation of the risen Lord. Where might you go that you might otherwise have been unwilling to go? One thing that stands out to me is where Jesus called his disciples to go. Where was he going to meet them? The angel tells us in verse 7, Jesus himself says so in verse 10, Galilee, Galilee. Remember, this was the place of outcasts and marginal folks. It wasn't Roman, it wasn't Jerusalem, it wasn't insiders, it was outsiders. This is where Jesus' kingdom mission begins. This is where his resurrection mission continues. Calling us to Love without recognition or public reward. Calling us to love and serve the despised, the outcast, the marginal. Even at great cost to ourselves. Even at cost of our own lives. Don't be afraid, dear friends. You're forgiven. Don't be afraid, Come and see. Don't be afraid. Jesus is Lord. Don't be afraid. Death is dead. Don't be afraid because the resurrection of Jesus means the end of all our fears. Christ is risen, so you don't need to be afraid. Let's pray.
Risen Lord, we pray that you would come and penetrate our hearts and our church and our neighborhood and our city and our country and our world. That you would rise up and conquer our fears. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and sing in Christ alone.